you can turn in your Bibles to a couple places in Mark chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There are some notes on the table if you'd like to have those. I, uh, I make them available for you. Let me read this note from you from Stephen and Anita Brown. They said, appreciate the prayers of our Hillside family during Steve's illness and surgery, and thank you for the beautiful flowers. You all are awesome. So thank you for encouraging and uh, loving on uh, others as well. I am thankful for uh, the business meeting last week, but tonight we're going to deal with the business of the Lord and the business of the church. This is the greatest thing, the, the greatest purpose for which we're here tonight, uh, and, and the reason we still exist as a church today is what we've been dealing with since the first of the year, is letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's our theme verse in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Appreciate Dr. Weigel's message a couple of weeks ago as we dealt with this witness as well as uh, Brother Josh's message as he dealt with uh, some practical helps in sharing the gospel with those who maybe come from a Catholic background. And so we see all of these things together and tonight I just want to lay some groundwork for us as we move through this. And, and I didn't do this the first week because Brother Josh was going out of town that week and so I said before you leave I'd like for you to share that message and so uh, this is uh, the opportunity to do what I probably should have done at the beginning. Uh, but it, regardless, it's going to be hopefully be a blessing and be a help to you as we go through this series together, Let Your Light So Shine. And so as we look at this, we, we think about the gospel. And let me ask you, what does the gospel mean, the word? Good news. Very good. Y'all are all very smart. So that's why you're here on Wednesday. Uh, and so uh, as we think about that, every Christian probably understands what that word means, the good news. And really, we think about Christ and we think about His gospel, the gospel of Christ. It is the best news in all, of all time. Uh, it's the best news of all eternity is that Jesus still saves. Amen. And that's why Miss Mary could sing the song, come uh, to the table, come and, and receive this opportunity to, to know that you're on your way to heaven. Uh, and of course, if we're in possession of good news, what do we do with good news? We share it. That's right. Man, if I had the cure for cancer, I'd let you know. If, I had, uh, if someone blessed me with, a, with some, uh, an extra love offering or money or something, I'd let you know. Boy, or if we, uh, a few weeks ago, I shared with you the good news that the last abortion clinic in Missouri closed its doors. And that's good news. Amen. Uh, you know, or it, the nature of good news is that you share it. A couple, for example, expecting their very first child, they bubble over with joy. They can't wait to share the news with their family. You know, good news is good news that's worth sharing. And so we think about the gospel message, and we think about its implication. We think about the simplicity of it. We think about the freeness of it. We think about the eternal blessings of those who receive it. And I tell you what, the urge to share it should be overpowering. We can't contain it. I remember the day that I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a glorious day that was. And I was so excited I couldn't contain it. I just remember the excitement and the passion. How many of you remember that day when you put your faith in Christ? Did you tell anybody about it? Amen. Some of you called someone and said, Mom, Dad, guess what? Or maybe you, you told a spouse or you, you told your brothers or sisters or you told someone because you were so excited about this good news that you received. And that's why new Christians are the most passionate evangelists ever. Amen. And I'm th so thankful for uh, people who just received Christ and they can't wait to share it with everybody. Because without any training, without any encouragement, they're immediately, we call people and say, guess what happened to me? 
and it's an exciting moment. And that's something we all rejoice in. The, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. And so this is something that sometimes, though, as we go along with time, we somehow or another, we kind of lose that fervency. That passion can and sometimes and often does diminish. And so the young believer uh, discovers soon that not everyone thinks that the gospel is good news. You ever had those? You ever tried to share the, share the good news with someone? They weren't quite as enthusiastic with it uh, about it as you were. And what did you experience emotionally when that happened? You get discouraged. You think, man, maybe what in the world happened? You know, some people, matter of fact, Paul faced this same thing in 2 Corinthians 2.16. He, he describes it like this. To the one we are the Savior of death unto death, and to the other the Savior of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things. He says so for some people it's like uh, the, the stench of death, if you will. Matter of fact, multitudes despise the message. They even become offended by it because it, it really, the problem is, is that it punctures human pride. When you have to come to this reality that I'm a sinner, I cannot get to heaven on my own, and we realize not this fictitious tale, but it is a biblical truth that God has shared, then it hurts. It hurts a pride. And so many people, quite honestly, simply love their sin so much, they don't want to hear a message of redemption that calls them to repent. And so as we face encounters with people, Oftentimes, they vehemently reject the gospel, and it can dampen even the most enthusiastic of witnesses in, uh, in churches today. And so you take that, and then you combine it with all the cares of this world. Man, you've got the uh, a cars making a funny noise, and you've got to get that fixed. And you've got the house that it needs repairs, and you have uh, the work that's got its demands, and you have all the, ch the children that need their care, and you've got all of these different things that pile upon us, and it's fixing to be tax season, so add that one too. And all of these things vie for our attention and our time. Eventually... It's easy for the disciple to become, uh, as we become familiar with the disciple, to become familiar with the gospel, to just kind of lose their interest in sharing it. It's almost as if, if our amazement with what God has done, the wonder of it all fades. The gospel is still good news to us. We still, but sometimes somewhere along the line, we think of it as old news. The urgency has become lost in the midst of it all. And as we look at the scriptures today, I think it's just it's necessary to remind ourselves constantly how utterly vital the task of evangelism is. And I think that this in 2020 and the challenges we faced as a church and individually uh, and just the, the severe, uh, the severe uh, repercussions of isolation, of even wearing a mask when you talk to people and, and how... Uh, how much of a struggle that can be. I have experienced personally that it can be very hard just to open up and talk to someone because you have a mask on. And so I use nonverbal communication. Anybody else with me? And so what does that do? But it muzzles 
my witness and it muzzles my ability to proclaim the truth. And so as we think about this, my burden in my heart is for us to, to have a, a renewed desire, a renewed personal investment in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because evangelism is not merely a, an incidental activity, it is the life of the church. It is why we still exist today, and it is the urgent duty for us as Christians to, uh, that God, Christ has left us to do. And so... If you think about every other spiritual exercise we do together as members of the body of Christ, we will be able to do in heaven. We, we will praise the Lord in heaven. And I'm looking forward to fellowships again, but we will fellowship in heaven. Uh, we will in, in be able to enjoy the riches of God's word in heaven together. We will celebrate truth together as he will be there in our presence. All of these things will be present in heaven but right now is the only time that God has allowed for us to be able to proclaim the gospel to the lost and win people to Christ. So as Ephesians 5.16 reminds us, let us redeem the time. Let us be able to make sure that we use the time that God has given us to continue to carry the gospel into all the world. Many people say that, uh, but it's only those that are called to preach are the ones that should share the gospel. There are only the, the ones who are, the, are, are called pastors or called uh, missionaries or, or maybe uh, even Sunday school teachers. Those are the ones who have the job of proclaiming. But the reality is, is that as a Christian, uh, we don't have to be specifically called. We don't have to be necessarily specifically gifted to be able to be a herald of the good news. Matter of fact, God commands all of us in this room, all of us as Christians, to tell the news of Jesus, to witness, as Brother Weigel talked about a couple of weeks ago. And we are commissioned to take this into all the world and to, to teach, to preach, to train others to continue to be disciples. That's our call as a church. Amen? Do you believe that tonight? Amen. Amen. Good, good. I haven't put you to sleep yet. You're still awake. I love it. I appreciate that. But really, we think about this, this is not just a collective obligation as a church. And we look around the church and we say, we've been, we, we have a missionary on, in, on the field of Israel. We have missionaries on the field of Brazil. We have missionaries on the field of Spain. And they're doing the work of the ministry. And this is missions, worldwide missions. And we're thankful for these flags and what they represent and the, and the lives that are being changed on those fields. But let me just remind you, it's not just a collective, but an individual obligation as well. And so that means I must make it personal. There is no duty that we hold that is more important and none that bears more eternal, uh, eternally re rewarding fruit. I mention this because in an age where the church is in increasingly under attack, and each of our personal, uh, each of us must recognize that we have an individual personal responsibility to witness to others. And so this is an era and a time where I, I believe that uh, God has called us to have a burden to sow the seed. It's a time when our personal witness to the community will yield the most impact and the longest lasting fruit. John 4.35 reminds us the field is white already for the harvest. It's ready. This is a generation that is looking for answers. And guess what? We've got the greatest answer ever. Isn't that exciting? I'm thankful that we can be able to say, listen, uh, you know, and I don't have all the answers. Someone asked me a question Sunday, and I, I've had to study on it some. Uh, but, you know, I don't have all the answers, but God's Word does. 
You know, and so we can go to God's Word and we can be encouraged to be able to share the truth with those around us because the answer to such this spiritual famine in our land is not the uh, just an, an, uh, just religious sentiment, it's not political activism, and it's not better public relations campaigns, and it's not for Christians to adapt their message to the secular worldview. It is simply the gospel. The gospel proclaimed clearly, the gospel proclaimed powerfully, the gospel proclaimed without any gimmicks in all of its simplicity. God has called us in this moment to proclaim the gospel. Let me remind you of Romans 1.16, just by way of introduction. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So as we look at this, the key to, uh, to uh, being a witness, to be able to share uh, biblical uh, truth with others, is not strategy or technique. It's not even about style or methodology, programs, or even pragmatics. The first and preeminent concern in all of our efforts must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's where it's at. So let's, let's stop and, and have a word of prayer. We're going to look at a single-minded resolve here in just a moment. Uh, but let's have some prayer as we begin today. Father, we thank you for your blessings. I thank you, Lord, for this glorious opportunity you've given us as a church to be encouraged uh, regarding uh, our witness. Lord, this is a day, this is an era, Lord, where this world so desperately needs uh, vocal witnesses uh, in, this, in this day, in this generation. And so may you help us, Lord, through, uh, through the message tonight, through the example of uh, Paul, through the example of the sower, to, to see our personal uh, responsibility and need in this world. God, I love this church, and I thank you for this privilege to gather together. And may you just encourage our hearts as we go to work tomorrow, as we interact with people. May we do so with a burden to win the lost in our community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here, I want to just point to, if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and, and we're going to see some scriptures here but, on the screen, but I just want you to see that Paul had a single-minded purpose in everything in his life. In, in his, in his, uh, and he was a very focused man. If you look through Paul's life, you could see when he was a, a, a Jew on the road to Damascus, he was very focused on persecuting the church and eliminating the threat of Christianity. When he was saved, we see again, he took that focus and it translated into being a fervent witness for Christ instead of a persecutor of Christ. But I want to just share with you from his own words what he said about this. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As we look at Paul's words here, we see that the Apostle Paul, he emphatically said, listen, it's not about cleverness, it's not about gimmicks, it's not about my eloquence or even my sophistication in, in philosophical pursuits. I can't even say the word tonight. He said it's not even about trying to manipulate uh, uh, just the psych of things so that we can share the gospel. He said it's just simple, simply this, I came to declare to you the testimony of God. And that testimony was found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so he said, this is my one, my one goal. This is my one mission. And when I was with you in Corinth, he said, my one hope, my one desire was just to share Christ with you. That's it. It's a single-minded resolve, and that's the gospel. In verse number 3 of the same chapter, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And we think about this as he continues and elaborates on this. It's not because of any uh, technique or even his uh, personal proficiency. But instead, his ministry with, to them was just a willingness to demonstrate the power of God. And he says in verse 4, "...in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power." Now, that's the same word he used in Romans 1.16 as he wrote to that church. Uh, uh, as we see, "...for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God." And we see that this, uh, this power that God is talking about is not associated, uh, is associated when we share the gospel. And remind, remind you in the Great Commission, Jesus said, I, I have, uh, He has been given all power in Matthew 28 and verse uh, 17 there. And then in verse number 20, He says, I am with you always. And so God reminds us that His power goes with us in our witness. How many of you are, can be fearful when you witness? Just a couple people. All right. The rest of you are incredibly bold witnesses. And so you pray for the rest of us as we witness and we become fearful. Because I'll tell you what happens when I witness. I be, my heart starts to beat. Amen. And, and boy, it just starts to thump in my chest. And I think, am I going to say something dumb here? Anybody else with me? Or, or the second thing is, is, is I think, oh man, are they going to reject this? Right? That's the second thing. And then the third thing that happens is, Lord, don't let me mess this up. Amen and amen. All right, we're getting real tonight if we can do that. Because this is what happens in witnessing. And this is what Paul said. Listen, it's not in my own power. It wasn't even with my own enticing words. And I'm going to share with you an illustration at the end of the message tonight that, that I think will, will hopefully be a help to you. But, but there have been many times where as I'm witnessing, I'm thinking, I don't even, I, I, something comes out and I'm thinking, what in the world did I just say? And I'm thinking, I know what I want to say, but it's not coming through the lips. And so he said, listen, it's just the demonstration that God can use something weak to confound the wise. God can use something like me, and he can do something to, to lead someone to the Lord. Now, I want, to, I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 18. A verse, we'll look in verses 1 through 8 together. Because as he was in, the, in Corinth, uh, Acts chapter 18 kind of re reveals some of that where he was there. And um, we see that as he began to share the gospel, uh, they, came under, they came under some fierce opposition. In verse number 1, it says, And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft... He abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, for from henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized." 
As we look here in this beginning, early stages of this church in Corinth, we see that it, it was met with some opposition. It was met with some challenges. And as he shared, and the Lord pressed in his spirit, as he says there in verse number 4 or 5, he says, listen, even in that moment, they resisted. They opposed themselves. They blasphemed. They, they did everything they could to get me out of there. And says, so I just, I, I said, all right, Lord, they're yours. And he went and preached to those who would hear him. And so God laid upon justice uh, and then Crispus later. And we see that God raised up those in, in Corinth who heard and believed and a church was established. And we have two, te- uh, two epistles today as a result of his desire to be in that area and uh, witnessing to the people of Corinth. Now, this was obviously just a tremendous thing, but it was a small beginning And we see this church was founded. The gospel was spread even further from this place. And it's interesting to note that in the first century church, it spread quickly, even though they didn't have any real organization. Think about this with me. In that very first church, they didn't have great programs. Uh, Jews didn't come in and say, yeah, what's your youth program like? You know, they didn't come in and say, hey, uh, what is, um, uh, you know, what's your bus ministry like? Those things weren't existent. They simply declared the gospel. Because that's where the power of God is. When we declare the gospel and we say, listen, this is what we want to do. We want to continue to share the gospel. And we do so. We see God do awesome things. Listen, the the most they had as far as organization went at this point was they had some deacons in the church in uh, Jerusalem. And so they they, they weren't like today where you have programs and all these different things. They simply had the gospel. They had a single-minded resolve to share the good news. Let me just say, the gospel does not need to be retooled. We don't have to redesign it. We don't have to repackage it if it doesn't seem to be working. All we must do is stay focused on the cross. The blood of Jesus still saves, and we can know that the message of redemption, undiluted by uh, by worldly interests, still is able to change lives today. And so let me just say uh, as well that it's, it's never obsessed with questions of how people might react. We must be more concerned with sharing, sounding forth the message of truth in this generation. The gospel is concerned with truth, clarity, biblical accuracy, and above all, Jesus Christ. He's the center of it. Its message is about Him and what He has done to redeem sinners. So it's not about someone's felt needs, or about what he or she must do to merit God's blessings. It's about the fact that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ has come to redeem all who will put their faith in Christ. You see, keeping those things straight is key to biblical evangelism. A single-minded resolve to let uh, the gospel be the central message of our lives will give great fruit for the harvest. So let me turn, ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, there's a call for sowers. And I think this is, this is great. Uh, as we look at Mark 4, this is probably one of the longest and most detailed instructions concerning uh, witnessing and evangelism found uh, is right here in Mark 4. There's a series of parables that the Lord shares and, uh, and some of the greatest instructions on sharing the gospel. And the foundation of his teaching is found right here in Mark 4. Uh, We see this in the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, depending on how you you look at it. But the point of his teaching uh, is is contrary to much of today's 
today's thought pro, pro, uh, thoughts in churches today. Because it demonstrates that neither the style of the evangelists nor the, uh, his willingness to adapt the message uh, to the culture around him ultimately has an impact on his results. The reality is the power is not in the messenger, it's in the message. Remember, it's the gospel where we see the power of God. And so as we look at Jesus uh, and his, these parables here in Mark chapter 4, there was a resounding rebuke to those who say that a pastor's dress, his style, or music helps him to be able to reach a particular culture or a crowd. Or that even diluting the gospel to make it more acceptable produces true conversions. The reality is that God's power comes through the message. And so let me just encourage you. This is to me personally very encouraging because it helps me to know that I don't have to change. I just have, you know, I don't have to be like the world. I can just be like Christ and proclaim the message. And that's what, that's what I want you to see here tonight is, is as we look at Mark chapter 4, that there are some truths here that we, I think that are very encouraging to us as people who want to be a witness in our generation. Let me give you a little background as we, as we pick up, before we pick up this parable. If you think about the disciples, their expectations about all that was going on left them confused when they saw the reality of what happened. For example, they had left their homes, they left their lands, they left their families, they left their friends, they turned their backs on their former, former lives, all to follow Jesus. And they believed Him to be the long-awaited Messiah. And they really, at this point, expected all the other Israelites to come along beside them and say, this is the great Messiah, and they were all going to follow. They were going to sing Kumbaya, sit by a campfire, strumming a guitar, and say, isn't Jesus wonderful as they worshipped Him as the Messiah? That was probably their picture. I don't know about the campfire and the guitar. I don't know about that. I just kind of, for fun. But rather than this big national conversion, what they found mostly was animosity. What they found mostly was the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. They hated his teachings. And many of the masses were only interested in the signs and the wonders. Few were really repentant, and doubt was really beginning to grip the twelve of these disciples. The problem was not Christ's ability to attract an audience, right? Think about, think about this with me. As he traveled around Galilee teaching, the crowds were huge often numbering tens, even thousands of people in a crowd. The disciples were so pressed, uh, tightly pressed together that Jesus would even have to get in a boat and push off into the lake of the shore. And matter of fact, if we pick up in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, you would read that in your Bible, that that's exactly what He did. They were desperate to find the miracle. They wanted so badly to eat the food. They wanted to be near this guy. He could attract a crowd. Better than Benny Hinn, Amen. But as fascinating as this scene was, it was not producing true believers. People were not genuinely repenting and embracing Jesus as saviors. So the disciples, their expectations, they were like, what in the world is going on? So few people desired to follow him. And so the Old Testament describes the Messiah as bringing uh, Israel both to national salvation and, uh, and also international supremacy eventually. And so the, the massive crowds were interested in the healings, the miracles, the food, but not salvation from sin. 
But this doesn't surprise us, or it shouldn't, because the message of Christ offered freedom from the, uh, really the oppressive man-made religion and, and, and really the regulation imposed by the Satan Pharisees. But following Christ can feel daunting at times. You ever felt like that? It required finding the narrow gate, is what Christ said, denying oneself, obeying Him even to the point of death. To follow Jesus required recognizing that He was divine. And that apart from Him there is salvation and no other. That means abandoning Judaism. Not, not saying Jesus and Jesus only. That means abandoning, if you come to Christ, that means you leave behind the false religions of the past, the false religion of self and the false religion of humanism and the false religion of, of Catholicism and all of these false religions say, listen, it's only about Jesus Christ. So in, in, instead of liberating the Jews from Roman occupation, what we see is Jesus preached a message of repentance. His message was about submission his message was about sacrifice, about radical devotion and exclusivity. And so as the crowds looked at him, they were drawn to him because of the miracles, because of the power, but they also recognized that they didn't want to be part of his converts. Matter of fact, one of his disciples asked him in Luke chapter 13 and verse 23, then said one, uh, one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? He says, what in the world is going on? Why aren't these people truly turning to you? And then later in John 6, 66, after Jesus had uh, shared a message, uh, one of them, uh, the, the Bible records, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know, Often our, our question is, if people don't, don't respond to the message, should we change it? So let's look at a faithful sower tonight. We're going to answer that here in Mark chapter 4. That was a lot of introduction, I recognize that. Hopefully uh, you're still with me. You with me tonight? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 4 verse 3. We're going to pick up here right in the words of Jesus. We'll read verses 3 through 8 together. He says, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on the stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and, it, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on ground, uh, good ground, and did yield food, fruits that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some an hundred. So we look here and we think, Pastor, we've heard this message preached. I can, I can, some of you are already starting to put it on autopilot. You think, because you think, already I know the rest of this message. I'm going to go ahead and take a nap because it's been a long day at work. Amen. But I just hang with me a little longer. Because I'm not going to focus on the soils, I'm going to focus right now on the sower. Because that's our job, right? God's called us to be the sower. In this parable, we see that, that God has called us to be the sower in this, in this parable. Where we, we go out and we share the seed, we, we plant the seed. The dominant myth in churches today is that the success of Christianity depends on how popular it is. If you're attracting thousands upon thousands and you've got this satellite church and this satellite church, uh, then you are doing well. So we must craft our message, we must craft our method, and we must also craft the man to appeal to the culture around us. 
This is called a seeker-sensitive uh, movement. And maybe you've heard those terms or not heard those terms, I'm not sure. But this is, this is what this precludes and what it demands. It would demand that the pastors act more like a rock star than a humble shepherd. It demands that uh, church, current church, church growth methodology demands that if an evangelist wants to reach the culture, he must emulate the culture. Puts on the latest designer jeans and uh, makes his hair this tall. I don't know how it goes. But the reality is that the power of the Spirit is, and the power is in the message of the gospel. It's not in that messenger. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. Brother Steve and I were talking after church on Sunday, uh, and we were just enjoying a good time of fellowship. And I just told him, I said, you know, I'm so humbled that God could use a sinner such as I. Listen, compromising the message will do nothing to increase our witness within the culture. In fact, it has the opposite effect. By creating a synthetic gospel, what it does is we fill facilities and we fill buildings with people who have not repented of their sins. Instead of making the world like the church, these efforts succeed in making the church like the world. And this is what that passage in Mark chapter 4 is designed to help us avoid. So let's talk about the fruitful sower, if we can. As we're going to let our light so shine before men, if we're going to be able to share with others, I want you to see a couple of truths about this sower. And we're going to fast forward in Mark to Mark chapter 4. Uh, in verse number 26 through 29. So sower is seen in Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, but he comes back to us in verse number 26. And so here the Lord shares uh, through this a series of parables and proverbs about evangelism. And, and a year before he would ever give the Great Commission, he lays the foundation for this as, as instruction for, for us to be able to share the gospel. And so as we go out, we have this burden, this desire, this, we sense this urgency because the time is near for Christ's return. You know, I think it's important that we go back to the words of Christ and say, okay, what did he teach regarding sharing the gospel of Christ? And so uh, we see here that of primary importance to this message is not just the message, but it's also the messenger, the sower, if you will. Because in both of these, in both of these uh, parables, we see a sower or a farmer, if you will. Are, are you thankful for farmers? Did you eat dinner tonight? Amen. I'm thankful for far farmers every time I sit down. I'm not so thankful for asparagus farmers. Uh, you know, those guys are okay uh, for some, but not for me. I really like ranchers. Can I get an amen to that? But let's talk real quickly about Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Pick up the narrative there with me. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and, ri and rise night and day. And the, sing spring excuse me, and the seed should spring, and grow up, and he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear... And after that, the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And so we see here some, uh, some incredible truths about our job as a sower. We look here, there's no adjectives used to describe his style. There's no adjectives used to describe his skill. Uh, and um, the, the sower is just depicted as one who does his work. 
and just goes home to sleep. Isn't that funny? Matter of fact, he says in verse number 26, again, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep. He just goes to bed. He says, I've done my work, and he goes to bed, he gets up, and he goes to bed, and he gets up, and then he looks out, and one day there's blades sticking out of the ground, and he says, I don't know how it happens. I just know it happens. Do you remember, I remember in elementary class, our, our teacher, she thought she was teaching us something, and she would give us a, a little bean, and then we would stick that bean in a little, uh, a little napkin, and we'd wet it, and we'd stick it in a windowsill. Anybody do that with her teacher? Okay, good. You remember that lesson. I have no idea what she was trying to teach us. I have no idea how that process works. All I know is you get a seed and you put it in some place where it's warm and it's wet and, and with sunlight and boom, shakalaka, you've got a little bit of something that happens. I, and that's what, what he's saying. Listen, we don't always understand how does, how does the gospel work? How is it that, that, that we uh, can share the gospel in all of our, uh, in all of our ways that, man, I, I'm just not very skilled or talented as a, as a linguist, but I can, I can share the gospel and somebody can understand and believe and it takes root and there is fruit there as a result. And the Bible says sometimes we don't always know, but the, the job is, is that we share the gospel. We plant the seed. We go out and we say, listen, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is who Jesus is. And that's the job that God's given us. Listen, he didn't, he, he'd give us the seed. I don't have to manipulate the seed. I don't have to go to the store and say, okay, I want the hybrid seed. No, I just want the original seed. What is that called uh, for those people who plant gardens? Heirloom seed. What did you say, brother? It's called a seed. It's not special. It's just a seed. Amen. They call those heirloom seeds because they've not been altered by man-made things. And so, you know, I want that heirloom seed of the gospel. I just want to give Christ to those around us. That's our call today. That's the joyful part is that God doesn't say, listen, you've got to change yourself. you just got to be a willing vessel. And I love the fact that God has reminded us that it doesn't depend on this farmer. It doesn't depend on his understanding of everything and all the inner workings of the science. The power of the gospel is in the working of the Spirit and not in the style of the sower. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men were among you for your sake. He said, listen, this is all God. This is Him at work. And so it is, uh, and we're thankful that it's the work of God in a heart and life. And the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1, Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 3 that he planted the church. He left it in the care of Apollos, but God gave the increase. He said, I have planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Psalms 127, same thing. It is the Lord that builds the house. And so God, you know, sometimes we feel like, man, if I don't win this person, if I don't, you know, the, that is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to share. My responsibility is to be faithful to get up at the crack of dawn and to spread the seed just like a good farmer would. So this truth drives away fear. It helps us to see past the struggles we face, and to be able to rejoice in the Lord. I believe Jesus wants us to see uh, that this lack of influence the farmer had over the seed. The power of the seed was not in the farmer. All he did was spread it, right? 
and then he went home and went to sleep. For a person to be saved, it's the, it's the work of God, not the work of man. I love the term soul winner. Proverbs eleven thirty says, He that winneth souls is wise is where we get that term. But it makes us believe that I'm the point person that's responsible for winning someone. Or, or when someone I lead someone to Christ and they say, well, this guy saved me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Jesus does the saving. I just do the leading. I do the spreading of the gospel. So as we close, I want to share with you just a little personal testimony of what God did here in the parking lot Sunday night. Services had ended here. Uh, it was We were wrapping things up. Gus meeting was going on in the building. Uh, and some people were just standing around. We were visiting with our missionaries that was here. And, uh, and I just was standing there and, and uh, visiting with a missionary, and a guy came in the, the front door right there in the back. And I turned around and I looked at him, and he was a little bit awkward as he came in. And my first thought was, is this guy going to shoot me? <laughs> okay, y'all don't have those thoughts. I got that thought. I mean, it's just the sign of his personality, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, great, someone's fixing to gun me down. So I walk up to him and say, hi, how, how are you doing? How can I help you? And he said, do you have a half a gallon of gas? And I said, well, sure I do. I said, I said we keep our, our gas cans in our bus barn. I said, let me take you up there and let's see if we can find some gas for you. So we jumped in my, uh, our van and I went up there. We took him up to the back of the barn. And his, sure enough, his car had, was parked right out here in the parking lot, right in the middle of the road. And so we went up to the barn and I got the gas can and it was empty. I got the secondary gas can and it was empty. And I said, Man, I'm sorry. I said, I'm out of gas, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll run you to the gas station. Let's fill it up. So we went up to the gas station, and while I'm talking to him, I've learned a little things about him. He was not very open at first, and uh, I could tell he was a little standoffish, a little bit, you know, just, just, just struggling with some things. So I came, I got my kids, and we went to the gas station, and I just started talking to him. I said, are you from the area? Nope. I said, where are you headed? Poplar Bluff. I said, where'd you come from? I'm trying to create a conversation with him, learn, learn a little bit more about him. And he shared with me that he had just left the funeral of his children's mother. He'd gotten lost and here on 266 on his way home to the Poplar Bluff area. He'd ran out of gas just, just right over the hill and coasted into the church parking lot and died. And I listened. My heart broke for him. And I was convinced more than ever that God placed him here for a purpose. So I began to share with him about God's love for him. So, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I know these are hard circumstances. But this is one thing I do know. For God so loved the world. He loves you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And just be able, was able to share with him the gospel. And as I shared with him the gospel, I began to share with him the truth that, that we're sinners, we're separated from God, and we needed a Savior, and only Jesus could give him salvation. And so as I took him through the, the plan of salvation, I asked him if he'd like to receive the gift of salvation, and he said, I would like that very much. Bowed his head right out here in the parking lot. Asked the Lord to save him. I tell you, 
What a blessing that was. I gave him a, I gave him a Bible, I gave him some books to help him grow. I gave him some bottles of water and filled his car up with the gas that we bought. And I noticed he hadn't left yet. And so I, I walked over to his car. I said, hey, is your car, did it start okay for you? And, he, and I looked in there and he was reading the Bible I'd given him where I'd marked it in the Gospel of John. And he'd already started reading it. Since then, I've been able to text with him back and forth, encourage him, and just trying to, to, to help him to grow in his faith in the Lord. You know, this is an example of one of those seeds that was shared by a farmer maybe years ago. As a matter of fact, he told me, my kids have been begging me to take, me, take them to church. And it was God letting us see the increase in that situation. I can tell you hundreds of other times where I've witnessed to people and it, oftentimes it was just that, just like scattering the seed. I don't know where it landed, sometimes on hard hearts, sometimes on, on stony hearts, sometimes on a thorny heart, sometimes in good soil. But, it was, but even today at lunch as we were taking care of a missionary and we were uh, out with them today, I was able to share with a, a, a lady who was our, our, our waitress about Christ and I noticed she had a... Uh, painted on her name tag uh, a marijuana leaf. And I just began to share with her Christ. She didn't accept there, but we still are called to witness. God said, listen, you're the sower. Be faithful to sow the seed, and you will be fruitful. 